And we are back. Another wonderful episode in store for everyone. Thank you guys again for tuning in. Had a great couple of last episodes here, and hopefully we can uh, produce again. We're switching it up a little today, going with something that uh, we haven't really touched on before. It's a little bit of a different topic. It's going to be a different style of episode. So hope you guys enjoy this one. Uh, Christian, let's go ahead and fire this up. Get talking. What do we got today? Oh, yeah. Things are about to get real spooky up in here today. Today, we will be discussing an unsolved mystery. And so a couple weeks back, we were discussing around Halloween season, do a themed episode there. I don't know, just relating to something Halloween themed. Well, we decided to push that back a couple weeks. And now we are here with an unresolved mystery, and we're going to have some fun with this one. Basically, what we will be doing is reading through case files of a mystery that is on the website Reddit, the subreddit, r slash unresolved mysteries. This is one of the top mysteries that are unsolved on that site. So follow along, grab your popcorn, sit back, relax, strap it down. It's going to be a good one. There's going to be twists and turns here. We'll see and, where it takes us. And don't don't get it wrong. It's still spooky season. We have not moved on yet. Some <laughs> people right. like to call an end to that on October 31st. It's still spooky season. I might uh-huh. go as far as to say it's always spooky season. Uh, yeah, for someone like you, it may be always spooky season. But for me, you know, Christmas time is right around the corner. The holiday cheer. Oh, man, it, it's in the air. It's in the air. That's spooky all I got to say. Yeah, we'll see. All right. So how we will do this is I will read through the first half. This post is known as the disappearance of Asha degree. So guys, like I said, find a uh, find a very comfortable whatever seat somewhere in your house you are and relax and we are going to read through this. And Barzi, I know you struggle with reading sometimes so if you need to popcorn to me at any point uh just send it my way some of the words are a little bigger um and i understand that so again no judging here if you need to do that feel free and that's why he's my co-host because he's always looking out for me (laughs) all right guys so let's get let's get this thing kicked off so first off who is asha So Asha Jaquila Degree was born on August 5th, 1990. She was the only daughter of Harold and Aquila Degree and had a brother, O'Brien, who was one year older than her. They lived in a rented two-bedroom duplex located in a quiet residential neighborhood about five miles north of Shelby, North Carolina. So Asha was described as a happy, shy, and athletic little girl who took after her father's quiet personality and was extremely close with her older brother. In February 2000, she was a fourth grader at Falston Elementary School who was math and science and was often named Student of the Week. She was the star point guard for her school's Little Bulldogs girls basketball team and also played with O'Brien, her brother, on the same softball team. When she grew up, she wanted to become an author and illustrator and study science at Winston-Salem University. So, Harold, who was her father worked the second shift at a dock loader at PPG Industries in Shelby, while Akilah worked at a Kauai piano factory in nearby Lincoln Town. 
On school days, Akilah would wake Asha and O'Brien up at 6.30 a.m. before leaving for work, and the two were expected to get dressed, eat breakfast, and catch the school bus to Falston Elementary on their own. They were latchy kids and were allowed to play outside so as long as they finished their homework. Bedtime was 9 p.m. on weekdays and 10 p.m. on weekends. So there's there's your little your background info okay. right before we get into everything. Yep. Bedtime at 9 o'clock. I'm a little jealous of that because when I was this age, I was going to bed at 7.30 every night, and it was, it was tough. It was tough to swallow. That is tough. Um, you know, the setting, it's a good little setting there. Seems like a, you know, good girl with a good family. Star point guard. What could go wrong? What could go wrong? And that's when you say that, that's when it all goes so wrong. So now let's get this thing kicked off. Friday, February 11th in 2000. There was no school on Friday. Asha and O'Brien spent the day at their Aunt Keisha's house down the street before attending basketball practice later that afternoon. Next day, Saturday, February 12th, Asha and O'Brien both played separate basketball games at Burns Middle School. It would be her team's first loss of the season, with Asha fouling out with only three minutes left in the match. Realizing they had lost, she began to copy her teammates as they cried and limped around the stadium, pretending to be injured. Akila, her mother, quickly put a stop to this, telling a sobbing Asha that she wasn't really hurt and that somebody has to lose the game. Asha was very upset at first, but cheered up while watching her brother play and admitted to her mom that she wasn't really hurt before going off to play with the other kids. That night, Asha attended a slumber party at her 15-year-old cousin Katina's house. And I may be butchering some of these names, um, but I believe it is Katina's house, where they stayed up late watching Soul Train and Showtime at the Apollo. Okay. So she had a little bit of that Mamba mentality. She did. Gotta respect it. On to Sunday, February 13th. Her parents and her brother, O'Brien, picked Asha up early in the morning to go to church. Afterwards, they went to cousin Shalanda Brown's home, where Asha's grandma gifted her a bottle of cologne and some Valentine's Day candies. Back mm-hmm. at home, yeah, that's good. Back at home, Asha, who hadn't gotten much sleep at the slumber party, dozed off at about 6.30 p.m. Two hours later, she was awakened by a thunderstorm that just rolled into the area and went to the living room to watch TV with her parents and brother. Just before 9 p.m., a motorist crashed into a utility pole in Lawndale, knocking out power to the basically the whole county that she lived in. Akila, who was preparing a shower for the kids when the lights went out, decided to leave it for the morning and sent both of them to bed. At 11.30... Harold stepped out for a last-minute trip to buy some Valentine's Day candy. Tomorrow would be his and Akilah's 12th wedding anniversary, and the two planned to spend the day alone at home. He returned shortly and fell asleep on the couch. That's a smart man there. I see what he did. He's, uh, he's breaking out the old anniversary right after Valentine's Day, so you get that little combo action. You can... You know, lump them together. You only have to do one dinner, get one gift. Yeah. This guy, he's smart. He knows what he's doing. Well, there have been a lot of people throughout this series that we have not gotten it. They don't get it. This guy, he gets gets it. it. Harold does get it. Harold gets it. On to Monday, February 14th. 
When the power returned at 12.30 a.m., Akila awoke Harold and asked him to move their kerosene lamp before going back to bed. Now wide awake, Harold settled on the couch to watch TV for the next two hours. At 2.30 a.m., he checked on Asha and O'Brien, found them sleeping peacefully in their beds, and went to join Akila in their bedroom. Sometime during the night, O'Brien stirred and heard Asha moving around in her bed. He thought she was tossing and turning in her sleep, then heard her get up and apparently go to the bathroom. And this is where reports differ on whether he ever heard her return to her bedroom. That night, unbeknownst to her family, Asha would grab her backpack, slip out of the house, and start walking south on Highway 18. They would never see her again. Akilah woke up at 5.45 a.m. to start the shower and later walked into the kids' room to find O'Brien asleep in Asha's bed unmade and empty. Thinking she just got up early, Akilah went downstairs to the kitchen expecting to see her there but couldn't find her. Now concerned, she began searching the house and realized that Asha's book bag and the house key were gone. Harold suggested that she went to her grandma's house across the street, but when Akilah called, she said she hadn't seen her either. Akilah threw the phone to Harold and started up and down the street, screaming Asha's name. Harold called the police at 6.39 a.m. By 6.45, the sheriff of the town and officers from the Cleveland County Sheriff's Office had converged on the degree home and were scouring the neighborhood. Over the next few hours, dozens of volunteers, search and rescue personnel, bloodhounds, and investigators from the Sheriff's Office and State Bureau of Investigation poured into combed surrounding area. The State Bureau taped off the degree home at 2 p.m. They found no signs of forced entry at the scene and were unable to tell if she had left through the front or back door, both of which could be opened from the inside without a key. There was no evidence of foul play inside the home. Asha is believed to have been wearing a white shirt, white jeans, and white Nike tennis shoes. Okay, so she got some drip. She did not bring a coat or hat with her, but an inventory of her belongings found that she had taken the following items. A black Tweety Bird pocketbook, candies she received at her basketball game, a black Tweety Bird. I I don't know what that is. I'm just going to assume we're too young for that. Um... Because, I yeah, a black Tweety Bird pocketbook, just, just a, it's a little a little pocketbook. Tweety Bird. Very suspicious. Candy she received at her basketball game on Saturday night. Her house key. Clothing. A red vest with black trim. Blue jeans with a red stripe on each. A white nylon long sleeve shirt. A black and white long sleeve shirt. And black overalls with Tweety Bird on it. So possible possible that she had on her the white nightgown she wore to bed that night and her basketball uniform those are both possibilities okay so that afternoon jeff r a 25 year old trucker from sundrop bottling colorado was eating lunch when he saw asha's face on the tv he instantly recognized her as the child he had seen walking in the rain along highway 18 at 3 30 that morning about a mile south of Asha's home. And this is his comment on it. He said, it is. I seen a little girl walking down the road with her book bag. She had on a little dress and white tennis shoes and her hair was in pigtails. I went back, but she never did look up at me. 
She looked like she knew where she was going. She was walking at a pretty good pace. Okay, so there's also a 75% chance that he just saw a ghost and thought it was Asha because that was sounds like the most terrifying thing I've ever heard of in my life. Yeah, that does sound terrifying. Um, also, you know, from the quote, reading word by word, probably not the most um, <laughs> intellectually intelligent man. He says, I seen a little girl. You I mean, did see a little girl. You don't see him, but anyways, yeah, no, that's that's freaky, but it does make sense, right? Because it said earlier that she was walking down this highway. This is reported where she was going, and that's where he saw her at. So, yeah, could be, and could be, could be. And the plot continues to thicken because realizing it was a child, Jeff stopped and turned his ten wheeler around. In total, he circled around three times before the girl ran into the woods and out of sight, which, okay, on her end, you got to see this big semi-truck just circling her. That's creepy in its own right. So probably good move out of her to get into the woods. At 4.15 a.m., Roy B., a former deputy at the Cleveland County Sheriff's Office, was trucking northbound on Highway 18 with his son when they saw a small person walking down the road. It was a small, and this is a comment from him, it was a small figure wearing light-colored clothing. I thought it was a woman. I couldn't tell it was a child. I thought it, that maybe it was a domestic violence thing where a woman left the house and was out walking. So, Roy placed the sighting 1.3 miles south of Asha's house just before the intersection of Highway 18 and 180. Concerned that she would get run over, they sent a message over the CB radio for other truckers to be on the lookout, but they didn't stop for it. Instead, they made a stop in Falston before driving up to Chicago where he learned about Asha's disappearance during a phone call with his wife. The next day, the men returned to Shelby and went straight to the command post at Moles Memorial Baptist Church to report the sighting in person. The State Bureau and FBI have always believed these sightings to be legitimate. Armed with this new information, they began combing a five-mile radius around the intersection of Highways 18 and 180. An air search by Highway Patrol and the State Bureau turned up empty. There were no signs of a struggle or a hit and run. Driver checkpoints set up on February 15th and 21st of February failed to turn up any leads. Bloodhounds began to scour the area within an hour within an hour and a half of Harold's 911 call, but never caught her scent, likely due to the inclement weather. That night, her parents were interviewed by the State Bureau and quickly were ruled out as suspects. Detectives say that the degrees have always been cooperative in the investigation and have bent over backwards to help find their daughter. They allowed authorities to search their homes and insisted on a polygraph, which they passed. As Sheriff Crawford put it, there was no, and is no, evidence whatsoever to indicate that the mother or the child are responsible for the child's disappearance. On February 15th, some volunteers approached Rally. Raleigh, that name I definitely butchered, definitely butchered that one. And Debbie, that one's a little bit easy, Turner, Turner, who lived almost exactly one mile south of the Degree home, and asked them to check their property for any signs of Asha. They owned an old doorless outbuilding that stood about 300 feet from the road, which they used to store assortments of items. A green marker, a 1996 Atlanta... Olympics pencil, a yellow hair bow, some cellophane candy wrappers, and a wallet-sized photo of a little girl. 
On February 16th, after being questioned and polygraphed by the FBI, Jeff went back to the scene with investigators and pointed out a spot 600 feet from the Turner's field. Rally and Debbie handed over the photograph, but kept the other items neatly piled on their porch, assuming that they lived too far away for them to belong to Asha. Reverend Mackie Turner, a neighbor who kept his six beagles in a dog lot behind the shed, said that his dogs normally barked if anyone approached, but that he didn't hear anything that night. Another neighbor reported nothing suspicious either. On February 17th, volunteers asked Turners about some candy wrappers found on the road near their home. At that point, they turned the other items over to the police. No one in Asha's family or at the school knew the girl in the photo, but they quickly identified the other items as hers. Her friends stated that the candies came from a treat bag they received at the basketball game on Saturday night. Investigators would find no further evidence after this. On February 20th, after three days of unsuccessful searching, they suspended the official search. Dun, dun, dun. Mm. And this is where I handed off to Easton for the second part of this story. But a lot to take in over this first part. It, yeah. it seems it's, it's interesting because so, it seems like this was just a runaway, but we don't know why this would have happened because it seemed like there is a good relationship with her parents. I don't know. Just a lot going on. Yeah. What, what are the, the early thoughts here? I mean, you got the, you know, it really got weird on me in that last part there where they find the candy wrappers and the candy wrappers and the picture. Yeah. I'm curious as to the role the picture plays in this, because I feel like it's going to play a role. Again, this is both of our first times reading this, so haven't went through it yet, but it's interesting. It is interesting. And here's the thing. So it says, so part two, what Easton will be reading is going to discuss the investigation and explore some possible reasons why Asha would want to run away. This is like 20 years ago. This is in 2000. Um, so maybe some kind of um, like a, a catfish scenario, although I don't know how that would happen because um, yeah. I don't know why she would run away. I don't know. Let's let's I think let's that get on to reading so part two. That she just kind of there doesn't seem to be a reason that she just up and left. But as the investigation states, it also doesn't look like there was you know, any signs of like a forceful like kidnapping or anything like that. It seems pretty clear that she did leave yeah. by herself. Correct. Hmm. All right. So <clears throat> all right. Yeah, we'll we'll get to part two. We'll we'll start collecting all the evidence here um and, and see what we can see what we yeah. can come up with. All right. Yeah, let's do this. So part two. Several experts on missing children have remarked on the uniqueness of Asha's disappearance. Children aged 13 and under made up an estimated 18% of runaways in that year, but the vast majority home shortly thereafter. It's extremely unusual for a child of her age to successfully stay hidden for such a long period of time. She also did not fit any standard profile for a runaway child. By all accounts, her home life was stable and loving, her parents were happily married, and she got good grades in school. No one in her social circle ever noticed any signs of abuse. And it doesn't seem as if there were any problems at home. Asha normally became withdrawn and took frequent naps when she was sad, but her parents did not notice any changes in behavior. 
The parents were surprised that she would sneak out of the house at night, saying that she was frightened by storms and deathly afraid of dogs. Okay. Interesting point there, because didn't they say that there was a big storm that night? Yes, it was a big storm that night. Hmm. Okay. And yet the Cleveland County Sheriff's Office, State Bureau, and the FBI have always believed that Asha left the house voluntarily, and she likely planned it out in advance. So why would she leave home? Oh, baby. <laughs> oh, it, look at this. This is what you were saying earlier. One popular yeah. theory is that Asha was catfished by an adult predator posing as the little girl in the photo found in the Turner shed. Mm. Another common theory is that she was lured away from home by a trusted adult under the pretense of making her parents a gift for Valentine's Day, which also doubled as their 12th wedding anniversary. Again, smart on Harold's part. For what it's worth, Harold says that Asha was neutral to the holiday. Her class was not trading any cards that year, and she did not seem excited for Valentine's Day, nor mention it. Asha's parents wondered if she was influenced by the book The Whipping Boy, which was read in class the week before she disappeared. The book is about a young boy whose sole purpose is to take punishments, whippings, for a young prince. And the two hatch a plan to run away from the kingdom in the dead of the night. They go on an adventure, escape, escaping a pair of bandits and meeting new characters along the way, before returning to the kingdom safely and unharmed at the end of the book. Asha's parents also posited to detectives yes. that she, thank you, that she left because they were upset about the basketball game on Saturday night saying she was the type of girl who would have blamed herself since she fouled out so close to the end. She was very upset at first, crying and insisting the referees had cheated, but seemed to perk up when she watched her brother play. She was very happy at the sleepover that night at her cousin's and the next day, but according to Akila, uh, she kept talking about the game throughout Saturday and Sunday. Okay. okay. Important information there. Yeah. So, February 20th, through let's see is that august 2nd yep oh of the so february 20th of 2000 through august the 2nd of 2001 okay so about a year and a half worth of time there authorities called off the search for asha on february 20th they'd spent over 9,000 man hours and uh combed the area several times they were confident she was no longer there in march of 2000 sheriff crawford hired kimberly poyer a child interview expert with the Department of Justice to interview O'Brien and several other children in her life. Her friends were unable to provide much help or information, but mentioned that she showed them a few dollars in her wallet on February the 10th. It is unknown where she got the money or whether she still had it when she disappeared. On March 22nd, the Degrees erected a billboard at the spot where Jeff saw Asha run into the wood, woods. That same day, Sheriff Crawford stated that his department was trying to rule out a handful of unnamed suspect, suspects. They contacted local sex offenders, spoke to everyone who may have had contact with her, and even explored the possibility of whether Asha was taken by an online predator, even though the degrees did not have a computer at the time. Ah, okay. Mm. Crawford also had the FBI create a psychological profile of Asha's abductor which has not been released to the public. 32-year-old Baron Ramsey, a former classmate of Akilah's, the mother's, yeah. uh, confessed to being involved in Asha's disappearance in the summer of 2000. 
Okay. He claimed that he and another man had just made a drug deal and were driving home when they accidentally struck her with their car. Realizing she was dead, they pulled her body into the bed of the pickup and then took a fishing trip to Moss Lake a few days later and dumped her in the water. Authorities dragged uh, the lake twice and searched Highway 18 for any evidence of a hit and run, but found nothing. They believe he made up the story in hopes of getting a better deal in a bank robbery case in Bessemer City. Mm. So basically what they're saying is, is that they think this guy, I guess, made this story up in order, like, as a confession to get out of a yeah. prior sentence? Is that what you're getting out of this? That that's Yeah, that's exactly what it seems like. And, yeah, it just seems like this case, they keep coming up with some possible avenues that just keep getting shut down. Because at the end of the day, yeah, the authorities dragged the lake, searched up and down for any evidence of this of this Baron Ramsey um, committing this hit and run, and there was no evidence. So at the end of the day, cold hard evidence is what it comes down to. All right, so now, the book bag. On the afternoon of August 2nd, 2001, 26 miles north of Osh's home, grading contractor Terry Fleming was etching a driveway, yeah, etching a driveway into a hillside along Highway 18 when he unearthed something bulky wrapped in a plastic bag. He had an Mm. odd feeling about the bag, but shook it off, using his tractor to clear the surrounding brush before curiosity took over. He tried unsuccessfully to tear it open with his tractor, but when that didn't work, he threw it overhead and the bag broke open. Inside, he found a beige and black book bag containing Asha's name and phone number. Although the name did not immediately register for Terry, he still found that the contents in the bag were quote-unquote strange enough that I didn't feel comfortable with it. He tried to call someone about it uh, right then, but was unable to in the area so he decided to write the information down and call the number later the next morning he mentioned the discovery to his wife who recognized the name and told him to call the police according to sheriff crawford the book bag was double wrapped in a black trash bag and appeared to have been buried at the location for quite some time he also stated that 90 to 99 percent of the contents belonged to asha law enforcement has remained mum about was in the bag but the charlotte observer reported that it included a pencil pencil case sheet of paper and some unspecified clothing Mm, some dots connecting there yes it was found about 50 yards west of highway 18 in a muddy densely woody area um, between the creek and the road one local man bruce smart said that the book bag book bag was found near the site of what used to be an old swimming hole Mm. okay Unlike the original search in Cleveland City, or sorry, Cleveland County, uh, which took place in February in that fairly flat area, those in Burke County would face serious difficulties due to the rough terrain, dense ve- vegetation, and sweltering heat. Variously described as atrocious search area and a honeycomb of pig trails, it was deemed so ha- hazardous that Sheriff Crawford would only allow trained professionals to participate. Search coordinator Randy McKinney, surprised that the bag was even found at all, called the discovery a quote-unquote fluke. When asked how optimistic he was about finding anything, he put it this way, if there are 10 oranges out there and we ask the searchers how many they think they're going to find, they'd say two. Okay. Starting August 15th, authorities uh, 
scoured a three-mile-long, 400-foot-wide area around the book bag. Cadaver dogs alerted to three spots close to the bag, but turned up nothing. Searchers also discovered animal bones in a pair of men's khaki pants. It is unclear if they have any relation to the case. In October, authorities searched a six-mile stretch of Highway 18 um, to just north of Shelby uh, to the Cleveland-Lincoln County line. It was the first leg of a 26-mile search that would cover the entire highway between Asha's home and where the book bag was found, but unfortunately it failed to turn up any new evidence. The only possible lead was a single black plastic bag found under Pool Road in Falston, which was similar to the one that they used to wrap Asha's book bag, but is not believed to have any relation to her case. In February 2002, Wayne Thomas, the lead investigator on Asha's case, was abruptly fired for allegedly withholding information about her disappearance. Thomas denied the accusation and said the detectives had kept him out of the loop about her case in months before the dismissal. He would be rehired later that year after McKinney unseated Dan Crawford in the race for the Cleveland County Sheriff. In September 2003, so about a year later, 43-year-old Danny Ray Johnson was charged with abducting an 11-year-old girl from a tractor pull event in Bellwood and raping her before leaving in the woods, leaving her in the woods naked and bound to a tree. He also confessed to sexually assaulting an 18-year-old girl at Knife Point just a few days earlier in uh, Catawba County. Detectives also investigated her, his brother, Herbert, a convicted rapist and self-proclaimed murderer who was working as a security guard at the tractor show, but he claimed to not know his brother was even at the event. He was questioned in Osh's case shortly after the discovery of her book bag due to his violent history and the fact that he lived in the area. Herbert was arrested in 2003 um, for probation violation when investigators discovered a machete in his vehicle. He provided hair and blood samples, claiming that he was an inpatient psychiatric facility. Did I read that right? Claiming that yeah. he was in an inpatient psychiatric facility and Dan the time of Asha's disappearance. On September 16th, detectives stated that the brothers had been ruled out for now. Okay. In November of 2004, a year later, authorities searched the empty lot on um, Rube Spangle Road in Lawndale, about three miles from the degree home, but found nothing but animal bones. A year later, April 2005, they dug up part of a 30-acre lot just south of Shelby, um, walking away with nothing but two bags full of dirt. Recent developments. This is how we close it out. Yeah. All righty. So in January of 2014, so this is now nine years later from the last time we picked up the, from the last timeline um, event yeah. that we noted, detectives began looking into a 57-year-old Donald Ferguson, who had been arrested in 1990 for the rape and murder of seven-year-old Shalonda Poole, whose body was found behind an elementary school in Greensboro, North Carolina. While investigating a seemingly unrelated sexual assault in 2013, authorities in South Carolina entered his DNA into a national database and realized it matched the suspect sample in Shalonda's case. Ferguson was free and living about 40 miles um, from Shelby in 2000, 
but detectives have been unable to link him to Asha's disappearance. In May of 2016, the FBI announced that they were looking for a dark green early 1970s Ford Thunderbird, Thunderbird or Lincoln Mark IV with rust around the wheels. Cleveland County Sheriff uh, Alan Norman stated that the vehicle was occupied times, meaning that there were two people inside. He also said the car was discovered by legwork between the sheriff's office investigators and the FBI, but would not go into further detail about the new lead. On October 8th, 2018, wow, so we're talking, you know, 19 is, years of a case at this yeah, point. Yeah. The Cleveland County Sheriff's Office released two more pieces of evidence in her case. One was a copy of the Dr. Seuss book, McElligot's Pool, which had been checked out of the Falston Elementary Library sometime in the early 2000s. The second clue was a New Kids book, New Kids on the Block concert team. Authorities would not reveal when, where, or how they found these items or why they believe them to be significant in Asha's case. Sheriff Norman mentioned that they have made important discoveries that uh, have not been released to the public, some of which advanced the invest investigation. Okay. Asha's disappearance had a devastating effect on her family. Three weeks after Asha's bag was discovered, Harold was seriously injured when his 1985 Oldsmobile Cutlass drifted over the yellow line into oncoming traffic, and he collided head-on with a pickup truck. He was initially charged with crossing a median, but the charges were dropped when it was discovered that he had suffered a bad reaction to his blood pressure medication and fainted at the wheel. While visiting Harold in the hospital, uh, Achilla slipped, fractured her Jeez. foot, and later developed a staph infection uh, and a dangerous blood clot. Both Harold and Achilla were unable to work for almost a year and forced to go on disability, relying on the generosity of their community to get by. O'Brien, the brother, is the brother, now 29, yeah. 29 years old and has a daughter of his own, who is around the same age as her aunt when she disappeared. Every year, the family holds a commemorative one-mile walk from their home to the billboard on Highway 18, marking the spot where Jeff saw Asha run into the woods. They refuse to believe she's dead and remain optimistic that she will return. Quote-unquote, we're not giving up hope until I have a body or they call me to identify the body, says the mother. And then I know I'm still not going to lose hope because if, Lord forbids, he decides to take her I know she's with God and she's taken care of, um, so I still won't have to worry. End case. End scene. So, mm. okay. The, the thing that absolutely stands out among all else throughout, especially part two that you read, <laughs> and I don't claim to be any kind of private investigator or detective or investigator of any sort, but the fact that when they found the book bag buried deep in that one sketchy area, swampish area, the fact that it was wrapped up in plastic, two plastic bags and kind of tough to break through to get to the actual bag yep. would lead me to believe that that is pretty damning evidence because that means someone probably was actively trying to hide that evidence. Yeah. And, you know, before... <clears throat> Before I dive into this, I'd like to encourage the listeners out there. I know this episode had a lot of reading into it. I hope you were following along, but uh, shoot back to us. Let us know what you think. 
what are, what are some of the things you picked up on any weird trends um but yeah i mean it's it's pretty bizarre how many different like so we talk about a timeline of you know now 19 years where weird little things just kept popping up but it seemed like for the most part a lot of them weren't related to each other like they would find something new uh-huh. um and it wouldn't be related to the last piece of evidence they found. And then the the piece before that. Um, so I feel like, you know, if this continues to happen where they keep finding some evidence, it might get to a point where there's just like some weird full circle of events yes. that, that happened that they are like, oh, wow, this led to that, that led to that. And we thought they weren't connected at all. But you know, somehow, some way they are. And that's how they end up, you know, hopefully solving the case. But it's pretty weird. A lot of speculation. Well, also, it seems like the authority, they they know a lot more than we do, or are withholding some things in hopes that maybe like public not knowing that could allow for them to maybe further the case by having someone come to them with certain stuff. Um, but, but that's interesting too. It, just going back to the fact that she just got up and left in the middle of a storm after it was said that she was very scared of storms. She had to have had some destination, some goal in mind. I don't think this was just, and they said, it, I don't think this was just a get up and run away because she's pissed off the world. I think there was some kind of objective here, uh, some kind of foul play that was afoot that I think probably because Asha, how how old was she when this happened? It probably said that very uh, early on. Didn't it say uh, nine? Was she nine years old? Um, she was young. born. Yeah, yep. She would have been nine years old. So for a nine-year-old to up and it's just, I don't know. I no, clearly I don't know. I don't know a lot of things. No one else really knows much about yeah. this either. But it's just. It really is, and just beyond the, this case in general, it's. I know we've been joking in some degree throughout this, but it's things like these are they're scary, because there yeah. are there are horrible people in the world who do horrible things. Imagine if it was someone you were close to or a sibling of yours. It's just situations like this are are horrible. Yeah, they are, and I mean. I think it's pretty clear after reading that second part that like it wasn't just a random chance. And I, I'm going to go as far as to say that I would rule out the possibility that, um, you know, they talked about the book she was reading in school and how they went on a, you know, they ran away from home, went on an adventure before returning. Uh, I don't think that's the case. I don't think that she, you know, just took, motivation from the book and and used it and ran away and was hoping for some sort of adventure i think there's clearly something that you know lured her out yeah now what's weird to me in this case is you know if you do point to that and say that someone was you know being a predator trying to you know use her or get her out of her home you know why she was walking so far right so how come after she left the home you know it wasn't like she just went around the block or two blocks down yeah you know you're trusting a nine-year-old girl to 
what sounds like walk yeah. a pretty good distance. Like this is not, again, this is not the neighborhood over. Like she was walking on a highway yeah, and she was walking long enough for a semi to turn around three separate times and pass her before she kind of darted off into the woods. Now, you wow. know, that's, that's, that's a great the, point. That's the other weird part about it is, um, you know, her darting off into the woods, if there was some sort of plan by someone else, you know, uh, did she eventually return to the path and, and continue where she was going? Because if she really darted off into the woods, that seems like a kind of a scared reaction. You know, it doesn't seem like the plan was to go in the woods or maybe it was, I don't know. I, I just feel like she definitely was on her way to somewhere and was scared off by the semi circling three times. Um, so I'm thinking she either returned to that path or, you know, maybe by some weird chance she actually was supposed to go into the woods. Although, you know, again, how can you trust it? And this is weird to say, but like from the predator standpoint, again, we're talking about a nine year old girl, you know, yeah. trusting her to navigate her way through the woods and stuff Absolutely. doesn't really sound like, you know, even for someone who's sick in the head doesn't really sound like a plan that makes a whole lot of sense right like and again we're talking about 2000 this girl doesn't have an iphone or anything like that at this point so i don't know, you know what, what are your thoughts easton easton i it hurts me to say this but that is a incredible point that's an incredible point because if there was said predator trying to lure her to somewhere I don't think this meetup place that she would have allegedly be trying to get to would have been so far where she had to go through this on this adventure just to get there. Cause like you said, she's nine year old. This is 20 years ago. Like f technology that we know of nowadays was in its infancy. So she probably, yeah. it's stated she didn't have a computer. She probably didn't know how to use a computer at all. Or even if she knew what a computer was, um, she definitely didn't have a phone. I don't know how she would have been in contact with said predator. Like that, that has to yeah. be taken into account too. She's a nine year old with a very stable family life. Like, I don't think she's sneaking out of her house to meet up with someone and forming some plot to go on this. Like, it just, it doesn't make sense. Maybe some mental health stuff came into the picture, came into play. I just, this whole case. Yeah. It really just goes back to the very beginning. It doesn't make sense why she up and left. And like I said earlier, the fact that the book bag was found buried in this place that was basically by chance that they found it and wrapped up. And basically this evidence that was hidden would lead me to believe that ultimately she did meet up with someone, whether it was the intended person initially but yeah this whole case it's intriguing and it's, in cases like this yes they're horrible but there's something about human nature we're drawn to unsolved mysteries or just mysteries in general because everyone wants to be someone who finds the next bit of evidence or the next clue and i i personally loved this kind of episode just because it was it was interesting to see an example of a case that has so many twists and turns and is unresolved to this point so yeah yeah and I, easton also well yeah you can you you go on you got it 
Oh, well, I was just going to say, to me, I think there are really two possibilities here. <clears throat> so the first one, and the one that I want to say I find it more likely, but with all the weird things they found, maybe it's not. But I'm thinking that, you know, maybe like you discussed, there was something going on in her head or some sort of self-motivation uh -huh. to yeah. leave her home. And I think that um, whatever that may have been, you know, they don't really talk about that a whole lot. But why she left her house, who knows, but she left it. I think she was going somewhere for the purpose of herself. I, I personally don't think that someone necessarily, like, lured her out. Yeah. I think that she had something in mind that she wanted to do. And in doing so... Um, was obviously scared by the semi and darted off into the woods. And I think that's where things got hairy. You know, you talk about, you know, there's a lot of creeps out there. And, and the off chance that one of those guys was out doing something suspicious and they ended up crossing paths, you know. Yeah. The likelihood that that ends well is not very high. I think that that's, I guess, the most likely situation. But... There is also the chance that, you know, I, it did it say how far her house was from this highway? I was just going to say, well, I, I think it did, but didn't it say it was like from where the book bag was found, like 26 miles away? I could be wrong. I'm, I'm going to look for that right now. Because if that's the case, then that just throws. Okay. So the book bag was 26 miles north of Asha's home along Highway 18. I'm not sure where on Highway 18 she was found. Let's see if I can pull this up really quick. Um, and so where they found it was described as like a rough terrain, right? That's yes, where they found the very book bag rough, is, like swampy terrain. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it, That's it doesn't say. Um, another thing you can't rule out is if it was found in like a swampy like terrain, was there any aspect of like it could have floated? You know, say when That's you true. look at something, when you look at like erosion or water levels lowering, is this something that maybe through that storm um, and maybe beyond that storm if it's a storm season that they get in that area could this have been sort of flushed out further than it was originally you know either stopped or whatever yeah. um well it yeah, did I, say that it was a watering hole beforehand like the summers yeah. before yeah i think there you know there definitely could also be the chance that when she darted off into the woods you know there's especially in areas like that, it's easy to get lost there and you can kind of get turned around. Like we said, you know, she didn't have a phone or anything. So you could think maybe you're making your way back to the highway the complete opposite way, right? Just getting deeper and deeper into the woods and, you know, who knows what happens there, but there's a lot on the table here. Well, and, but... Yeah, you the the idea of her getting lost in the woods it definitely makes a lot of sense. But then you have to just go back to the fact that this book bag was found wrapped up, and in like two black plastic bags. 
that's the weird part that so that definitely to me that says there was some interaction with someone yeah. there it definitely that rules out um at least in my mind that she you know ended up getting really lost deep in the woods and maybe some freak accident happened to where yeah you know she couldn't make it out um double wrapped in a bag and clearly hard to open to me that means someone was trying to hide it and just dispose of it as nothing so that if the off chance that it did get ran into you know someone wouldn't even really take the time to yes you know because because even like think about now if you're walking along the side of a road or something like that you see just a black trash bag sitting there you don't really think to open it you know it's not like you're i most of the time i don't even want to know what's in there but Correct. i guess in the weird case that this was you know again in an area you wouldn't expect something like that and uh it just he opened it almost by accident right then he say he like was using well, yeah, a tractor he, and to tractor like so he had to kind of dig dig deep a little bit to find it first of all and then like you were just saying he initially just kind of let it go but was like was kind of bothered by it and thought it was kind of suspicious so went back to it later so as you were saying it, it could have easily he could have easily tractored over this thing whatever the right word for that is and just let it be which was probably the intended thing of whoever wrapped that bag up yeah it's very weird to say the least um i should point this out there that you know if this case is really interesting you i'm reading now that there is a twenty five thousand dollar reward on top of twenty thousand dollars set aside by cleveland county officials if you can help find asha there you go so you know if this is intriguing to you there's a uh it's on wcnc charlotte the the news um website they offer up that reward they show a little picture of you know if she is still alive what she probably looks like today um using an age enhanced photo so i don't know man it's crazy stuff it is crazy stuff and i guess to wrap this up guys if if you like this style of episode, we've been playing around with a lot of different things throughout our first 15, 16 epi- episodes. If you like this kind of or style of episode, let us know. Give us some feedback. I had a lot of fun with it just because it's fun to play detective on some things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's definitely a very interesting case. Yeah. Well, and then after you uh, get through the case shoot us a little DM or tweet at us or something and let us know if you have any thoughts that we might have missed. I personally, I guess, just to wrap it up, think that to me the highest possibility is still that she was internally motivated to leave her house for some reason uh-huh. and um, then likely was deterred by someone um, that she interacted with by chance out uh when she was on her trek and that's where everything really went south you know running into a creepo out in the woods or something like that um but it all is weird and there's a lot of things that could point to maybe she was lured out and you know that that was part of the whole plot like i said before the the picture really makes it interesting because 
to me, like that's, I don't know why it would be a picture of a little girl. Maybe it was like, that almost makes you think like, maybe it was some secretive, like, Hey, here's a picture of me. I want to be friends with you. Like, let's, yeah, I don't know, be secret friends or some, some childish you would say like that, that at the time sounds fun and, and cool and adventurous. Um, and it was a case of, you know, a predator trying to get her out. But <clears throat> again, if that's the case, it's a very elaborate and, you know, a plan that a lot of things have to go right for first trying to be the predator in that case to, you know, not get caught, to not have it flip around on its head and um, not work out. So, yeah. Keep looking. <laughs> 45, 45 you know. Gs if you can... Uh, you can solve the crack the case <laughs> as uh, as intelligent as Easton and I can be. Unfortunately, we don't have the brain power to solve this case with everything that is in front of us. <laughs> Look, man, I tried. I showed Christian before the episode. For all of you that are curious, of course, I got my morning coffee in. And today, since I knew I had to be extra sharp, I came with my uh, complimentary free medium iced coffee from Dunkin' Donuts every Wednesday. Every Wednesday, free me. You want to show? Coffee. You want to show the camera that? You know, we're yeah, not sponsored yeah, so, by Duncan or anything like that. <laughs> we're not sponsored by Duncan, but medium iced coffee, free on Wednesdays if you get the Duncan app. But what I really did is I got sick and I drank half of it, and then I took this here Kirkland cold brew Colombian coffee, and I poured the rest in there. So I had I had myself. A lot so, of coffee going into this because the I brain be, waves were really buzzing. I yeah. wanted to be sharp. I wanted to get things going. You know, the only reason I stumbled a few times when I was reading that is because the brain was just ticking so fast, <laughs> and I still couldn't get it, man. I thought, you know, I thought you that's thought all that, that was be... needed. I thought that these sheriffs, they just weren't having enough coffee. They weren't thinking right. I don't know, man. Maybe with maybe with my half Dunkin' half cold brew. You throw me in the sheriff's office and give me this evidence that's being withheld. Maybe I solve this case. And maybe it's a ticking time time bomb. Like maybe in a couple hours, you're going to come back. All of a sudden, something's going to click for you. And if that so happens, we'll get a tweet out with Ethan's latest proclamation on the case. That, I think that is the end of another episode of You Wouldn't Get It. Episode 16. Next week will be 17 if you don't know how to count. But guys, we have appreciated the, the journey so far. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Like I said, send us in whatever your thoughts were on the episode. Neeson's got something. Yeah, real quick, short and sweet. Uh, Barzy, average today, 7.5. Short and sweet. You know, because it was short and sweet, I'm just going to ignore that because I thought I did better than that. But we're going to ignore it. Don't say anything. Don't say anything. (laughs) Guys, we will see you next week and take it easy. Hey, and uh, real quick, before we end this episode, we've been considering this. Get back to us on this. Some possible merch drops. Um, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. If you would be interested in uh, maybe some You Wouldn't Get It merchandise, we're thinking about, you know, maybe putting out some shirts, making some rotten shirts. That's, you know, maybe that's a little company we'll start is Rotten Incorporated based off of all of your thoughts and ideas. Um, But if this interested you, maybe we'll crank out a few shirts for the for the loyal people. So 
let us know. Keep the eyes peeled. Keep them peeled. All right, guys. We'll see you next week.